We're back with the Reaction Podcast, where we react to what we hear on Sundays. It's episode 15. Yeah. And we're talking about Mark 5, the story of the bleeding woman. Uh, Kind of the key topic for this week was faith. And to talk about faith, we're actually kind of talking about identity and how Jesus restored this woman's identity uh, when she put her faith in him. Yep, that's right. And I think, you know, Taylor, she did a great job um, Sunday night kind of unpacking this truth for us, but started out um, giving us a, a definition of faith uh, that I thought was really, really compelling is it's complete trust or confidence in someone or something, right? That's what faith is. It's that um, I believe in this person, I'm confident in this person. And so when you think about it from a standpoint of belief, and confidence, I think it's a it's a big deal. Um, but the night started off in a, in a different way, um, which I thought was was key to all this, uh, and will be key for people even as they're listening and parents and families or maybe even students who couldn't make it to Sunday night to kind of understand why are we talking about faith as it relates to identity. How do these two things connect with one another? And you know, we started off the night, and everybody had the opportunity to grab a name tag. And on that name tag, you were allowed to write, you know, what maybe you believe best describes you, or maybe what people say about you. You're allowed. To, you're allowed to write anything on that, but your name, right? So you can't. I can't write, "Hey, my name is Brad," right? I have to write, "Hey, you know, my name is." funny or, uh, you know, I had some students, I'm a singer, I'm an athlete, I'm a whatever. Um, My favorite was extra. There's a name tag that said, (laughs) the one thing that defines me is I'm extra. I'm extra. Yeah. And what that means, we we don't know. Um, Some people I thought was pretty cool. We're we're super honest. I mean, we had a couple couple, couple of them said, I'm tired, I'm broken. Um, But the reason we started with that, and this is how all all this faith and identity stuff ties together is so often we have confidence or trust or belief in whatever we would use to fill in that name tag to describe us. Uh, We have more confidence or faith or trust in that thing than we would in our own identity. And so the story of this woman who had been suffering, you know, for years and years and years uh, is one where her name tag was filled in with, you know, some things that had to do with, you know, cultural stuff and and all that. Uh, But in the process of her having faith, what she found was, yeah, there was a problem in her life that needed to be fixed, a problem or an aspect of her life that maybe defined her. But what she, when she stepped out in faith, what she found was, what, more, than, more than just that problem or that issue or that defining thing, you know, that thing that would fill in her name tag, Jesus affected more than that, right? Yeah. So faith uh, really comes down to, and it does, it has the ability, has the, the capacity to affect our identity at its very core. So what we choose to believe in, trust in, and place our confidence in, ultimately in some way, shape, or form gets tied back to who we believe we are. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a lot left in this woman's life that was reminding her of who she was because she had had this condition where she was bleeding for 12 years and it kind of rewrote her role in society. It rewrote who she was among the people that she loved. She couldn't touch anyone. She couldn't really be close to anyone. She couldn't be married to anyone. So all these things that a normal person would kind of be entitled to or would have, uh, she was, she was unable to participate in. And so there weren't there wasn't a there wasn't a community or a family around her reminding her of who she is, giving her value, uh, or enjoying her presence. And so she had been living with this condition. And I think it's cool in the text it says she had spent everything she had mm. trying to find a solution, trying to find a remedy. Uh, and you know they probably 
did all kinds of wild, uh, you know, things to try to cure her, but nothing worked. She had spent all she had. She had no status in society, but she decided that she would exercise kind of one more leap of faith that she would, she would put her trust in, in one thing. And it wasn't something she had to spend money on. It wasn't something that she could do herself, but she, she makes this choice and it wasn't, it wasn't a straightforward decision. Like we think of, of kind of this, she just walks up to Jesus, touches his cloak, doesn't have much to lose, but that's really not the the case right. because stepping into a crowd and touching this teacher who was respected in the community was very uncouth for someone who had her condition. Right. Yeah. And I like that uncouth. That's a good word. Uncouth. Uncouth. Um, and yeah, and even what we, you know, some things that we read this morning, you know, just in, in kind of reading between the lines, you know, and just so we know, I mean, I think we can say this, right? We're, we're grown ups. When you talk about bleeding woman, this is a woman who was experiencing what we would say is that period of menstruation, right? All instead of it being like one week a month or, or you know one time of the month, it was all the time, uh, and this had been happening for for twelve straight years. Uh, which one of the the things commentaries we read this morning is you know if you look at the life expectancy of of people back in this day, it was it wasn't what it is today, right? And, you know now we think of someone who's at the end of their life is in their you know seventies, eighties, nineties. You know that is is life expectancy expectancy in, in a modern world. In this time, it, it was way less than that. You know, even to the point where it could have been in, in like the forties and fifties. And so, I mean, this is a this is a woman for the better part of her, what probably started at puberty for her, right? Um, had been carried on now for twelve plus years. So this is someone who suffered for practically half of her life. So half of her life. Not only is she suffering from this problem, which again, in our day, there are medical things that we suffer with. And some of us, we, we struggle with and we wrestle with for, the, for you know, like our whole lives, this side of heaven, right? Um, whether it's anxiety or depression or whatever. Uh, but in this culture, in this day, that you wore your suffering on your sleeve, especially in a sense like this, because for her, it made her culturally unclean, right? Which is kind of what we were alluding to and what you were talking about earlier. And so because this was an issue for her, she was not allowed to be, she could not be touched, nor could she touch someone. Because in this case, it was, if she bumped into someone, now that person is unclean because they touched an unclean person. And that person now has to go through all the ceremonial, ritualistic washing and all that kind of stuff in order to get them. So, and that usually took a day. So anytime she would bump into someone and we see in, in, in Mark's story that she's in a crowd. So she's probably bumping into people left and right. Well, every single one of those people that she, that she touched, they would have to spend a day cleaning themselves right before they could also rejoin society. And so I mean, this was a huge deal. So when, when this is where that whole faith and identity thing come into, come into play, because for her, her affliction was her identity and her identity was unclean. And I wonder, Mike, as we, as we kind of dive more into this, how many of us probably can identify with her? You know, how many of us, yeah, there's this thing that we suffer with. And there may not be a ton of answers as to how to fix this problem, you know, whether it's mental health, right, anxiety, depression, um, you know, whatever that may be, uh, whether it's just, you know, emotional things that we go through or whether, you know, for some of us it was abuse or things in our past that, that because of that now, because we experienced this or we continually experience this, um, it, it begins to become who we are. You know, we begin to wear that on our name tag. Hello, my name is anxious. Hello, my name is depressed. Hello, my name is abused. Hello, my name is 
you know, damaged goods, whatever that may be. Um, I wonder how many of us can identify, you know, we can probably, yeah, yeah I get what this woman is going through. Um, it's not necessarily her fault. She didn't ask for this. Um, but here she is dealing with this and this has become a part of who she is so much so that it literally defined her way of being. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody that she had bumped into thus far, uh, couldn't relieve her pain. They just kind of got sucked into it. Yeah. Right. And I love the note in my ESV study Bible, uh, on this passage, it says that when she touched Jesus, technically she rendered him unclean, but Jesus is greater than any purity laws. Yeah. Another way to say that is he's, Jesus is greater than tradition. He's greater than culture. He's greater than expectation. And then it says he makes her clean by his power instead of becoming unclean himself. Yeah. And so these things that we carry around, like our community and our families, they can they can help us cope. They can support us. They can help us heal, uh, but they can't remove the impurity. They can't remove the uncleanliness. They can't wash us clean. Jesus can, and he's bigger than our expectations. Uh, last week we talked about you know when something seems impossible. It's not if Jesus is involved, and this is another great example of that, but she has to be willing to cross cultural boundaries. Mm. Um, you know, when, when Jesus says, who touched me, his disciples look at him with a, a puzzled look on their face because they're like, well, everybody's touching you. Yeah. And so we know this is an environment where she's touching a lot of people, and we know that if she touched him and she wasn't healed, she would have been putting herself in hot water. Like, if anything, it would have been incredibly awkward. People probably know who she is, and they know that she's doing something she's not supposed to be doing, but she's saying that's culture, but that's not as big as Jesus. So mm. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to cling to him. Yeah. And I think, you know, something even that, that, uh, that even goes back into what you had mentioned too, about you know, she had spent everything that she had trying to get better over the years and she had suffered a great deal from many doctors is what it says in Mark five, you know, even some things that we read earlier today is a lot of the medical practices and because again i think for us it's hard sometimes to get us get out of a modern mindset and think well she's going to the clinic or she's going to her OBGYN or it's it's not like that right um this is like she is the 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 medical care at this point in time whether it was jewish medical care or gentile medical care or whatever uh was was highly rooted in superstition right was was some of the 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 stuff we read from the commentary today she's going to the witch doctor yeah kind of pretty much i mean it's it's a lot of voodoo right going on here and so you know there's no telling you know the things that they were doing but wasn't it wasn't addressing the cause uh and, and all this stuff and and i think it's it's key to know that mark said that she suffered um, under many doctors, um, and she had had she spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, it says she got she got worse. So then she hears about Jesus, and Jesus just you know, Taylor gave us some great context on Sunday night. Jesus is coming back with his disciples from being on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where he had just he healed a man who is possessed by a legion of demons. They're on their way back. Um, and he steps out and is, and is immediately greeted by, you know, a, a guy who's pretty well to do in the, in the community whose daughter is dying, Jairus. And so Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house to heal his daughter who is sick and dying. And this woman in the midst of this kind of chaotic moment in Jesus's life where he and his disciples are trying to press through a crowd of people to get to a place where there's a clear emergency. This woman in this moment sees her chance. And it's like, I've tried everything else. And I've lost everything trying everything else. I'm willing to give this a shot. You know, where at this point it is, it's like that's where that definition of faith comes in. It's that complete trust or confidence in someone or something. It's like in this moment, she was willing to risk 
all of this. One, being being in a crowd, which she was not allowed to be. Two, the potential of making other people unclean. All of I mean, think about the, the risk that she was, you know, that she was at this point kind of assuming and taking on herself just by being there in the first place. But then reaching out and touching, you know, a rabbi, touching a teacher um, was a huge deal. And she's Jesus. Pushing all her chips in. Yeah, she, she's going all in at this point. It's like, I got nothing left. Um, and so I'm all in. Win or lose, here we go. And Jesus in that moment feels that power go out from him. Like what it says is like he feels the power go out from him and he stops and he says, who touched me? And his disciples, of course, looking at him, what do you mean? Everybody's touching you. You know, here you are, you're in the middle of a crowd. Everybody's touching you. We're bumped up against everybody. But Jesus, it says in 32, he kept looking around to see who had done it. So Jesus is now on the look, you know, he is now looking for this woman. And you can imagine she's freaked out. She knows, ooh, I've done something here because now he's looking for me. Um, and 33 says, Fight, frightened the woman, the woman, she came trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. She came and fell in front of him on her knees and she told the whole truth about what she has done. Um, and then in this case, Jesus, he responds, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Uh, and so what we see is this woman had tried everything to kind of heal this this condition that she, this physical condition um, that she had been battling for almost half of her life. And when she sought Jesus, not only was that physical condition remedied in this case, but Jesus in, in like one fell swoop goes back and restores who she is because nobody at this point, probably half of her life, she hasn't been referred to as she or daughter um, or even probably heard her name. She just has worn that name tag that says unclean. That's how she would have known herself. Uh, that's how she would have been known when she looked in the mirror. That's the only thing she saw. So when Jesus refers to her as daughter at that point, it's like even the depth of her soul has been restored, like that identity in her, not the bleeding stopped, right? That physical condition has been remedied, but Jesus also dives into that depth. So I'm going to restore your identity. I'm not just going to stop at the physical stuff. I'm going to go deep into the surface uh, because this is where faith takes us. Faith takes us beyond physical um, and allows the room for Jesus, allows room for the spirit to begin to move and work uh, at the parts that exist at the core of who we are. Yeah. It's beautiful that this story is encapsulated in, in the story of Jairus and his daughter, because literally the next sentence after Jesus refers to this woman as daughter, somebody comes up and he says to Jairus, hey, your daughter, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Yeah. And it's so cool, the contrasting language there, because daughters used back to back in two different sentences. But the story of Jairus and his daughter is just demonstrating like the, the value of that relationship of a daughter father relationship. And there's so much commotion and fuss and urgency in Jairus trying to, to heal his daughter. And then all of a sudden we see Jesus refer to this woman in the same way. Mm. And so that loving relationship that's on display in the Jairus story all of a sudden gets transferred to this woman who Jesus just meets on the side of the road. This woman yeah. who who just comes out of the crowd. She's just one of many. She's just a marginalized person who has no family. And Jesus refers to her in the very same way, that using the very same language that's being used uh, between this prominent, wealthy, well-to-do, high-status guy and his daughter who he loves so much that he's running to Jesus and he's saying, save her, please heal her. Uh, and we see both of these women referred to in the same way uh, because Jesus sees everybody uh, with that same identity, with that same value, yeah. uh, regardless of if you're if you're born of the silver spoon or you have this condition that's driven you out of society. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting too when you know they come to Jesus and say, "Hey, listen, there there you don't need to you don't, there don't need to be any fuss anymore. 
Jairus, your daughter, your daughter's, your daughter's dead. You don't need to trouble this guy anymore. And Jesus, he overhears him and he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Right. And even as I read this now, like I, I picture Jesus going like as Jairus, as these people are coming to Jairus and saying, there's no use, man, your, your daughter's died. Your daughter's dead. He didn't get there in time. Like, you know, like don't, don't bother him anymore. There's nothing that can be done. It's almost like I picture Jesus putting his arm around Jairus and pointing to the woman and going like, don't worry, just have faith. Like, don't, do you see what faith is capable of doing? Um, like, do you see what just happened here? This was a woman who'd been suffering for half of her life with something that no one could fix. And not only did her faith lead her to a place of that is now healed, but also her identity is restored. So it's like Jesus is going, hey, buddy, like, look at this. Look at, look at this woman here. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Just have faith. Just believe. Put your trust and confidence fully in me. And thing, things are going to work out, you know, and I think that that is, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's a, that's a cool picture. So it's almost like Jesus has this living, breathing example in front of him, you know, as Jairus is fretting over and then now having to figure out like my daughter is dead uh, and going through all those emotions, Jesus is able to put his arm around and go, man, let me, let me show you what faith is capable of doing. Uh, when you have faith, this is what, this is what happens. And that, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't want to, 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 because it's easy to venture into prosperity territory there and say, well, if I, have fa- I just have faith that Jesus is going to give me a million dollars. That's not necessarily how it works. I think, you know, for us, it is, it's like, I believe that Jesus is capable of these things, but I also believe that Jesus is, go- is willing to work things out and will work things out to the good, right? What it says in scripture, the good of those who love him. Um, and that he's with us. And he says, he, he, he explains to us, like even in our weakness, we find strength. Or, or even when we are tempted beyond what we can bear, he'll provide a way out for us. That doesn't always mean that the things that we ask for are what uh, he's going to give us. Because I'll say this, and I read this, um, I, this was a good statement that I came across from another pastor on Twitter. You know, it was just tweeting out hot stuff. It was like, you know, God is, as a father is, is he's prepared to, to provide us what we need. Um, but there is a big difference between what we need and what we want. Yeah. I want a million dollars, man. That'd be right. I'd be able to pay off some debt. I'd be able, like, that would be great. I mean, I wouldn't turn it down, but what I, it may not be what I need. Uh, and what I need is more faith, right? I need to increase my capacity for faith. Um, and so I think that's the things that God leads us into experiences that I believe provide us the opportunities to inc- increase our capacity of faith. And what we find is, as we tend to be faith, as we tend to have faith and be faithful, God meets us in those faith moments with His own unique brand of faithfulness. And so, in this specific case, this woman risked everything in faith to touch Jesus. Jesus met her there with His own unique brand of faithfulness. Jairus came to Jesus in faith, and Jesus met him in faith with His own unique brand of faithfulness, which I think is a critical thing for us to, as we think about this. It's like, what does it look like for me specifically in my life? What I'm walking through, what I'm dealing with now. What does a faith step look like for me? What does it look like for me in the midst of depression or anxiety or in the midst of financial problems or in the midst of stress to to say, I am instead of me trying to wear this name tag or that name tag or whatever it may be, what does it look like for me to step out in faith in this moment um, and trust that that if I invite Jesus into this, um, that he's that he can do something about it. And, you know, I'll go back to a conversation I had with a student. Uh, not long ago, uh, a few weeks ago, who's wrestling with anxiety. And that's something that's new in my life, Mike. I mean, I know we talked about this, but, you know, about a year ago, um, I started out of nowhere 
wrestling with and dealing with anxiety and panic attacks. And it's like, where did this stuff come from? And there was a point in my life when I had to realize, like, I've got one of two options. I can continue to tell my, I can continue to tell God about my anxiety, or I can start telling my anxiety about God. Right. And I think that is, that's faith. It's like, I, like, yes, in those moments of panic attack, when it feels like, man, the bottom is just dropping out and I'm falling without a parachute. Um, you know, I can go, God, here it is again. You know, it's happening again. Why haven't you done anything? You know, or in my prayers in those moments, it's I'm telling, I'm choosing to tell my anxiety about him. Hey, I know the king of the universe. Um, and I think that's a, that's a huge deal. I mean, that, and that's a subtle shift, um, but it's a massive shift. But that's what it means to kind of say, I'm taking off the, the, the name tag that says anxious. I'm putting, I'm allowing God to return like Jesus did for, for both of these girls to, to, for him to put the name tag in her, their case, it was daughter. In my case, it's son. And in that moment, as I'm proudly wearing the name tag that says son of God, right? I'm able to tell my anxiety about who my father is uh, as a result of me telling my father about my anxiety, by the way, which he already knows about. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a subtle shift, but a crucial shift for some of us to make. Yeah. I think it's important too, when you read through these two stories to pick up on the idea that faith is, doesn't mean perfection Yeah, because there's fear and there's uncertainty present in the woman and in Jairus, both of them deal with this this hesitation of you know what am i doing what have i done what's going to happen now as they step through this process you know the woman um isn't isn't just strolling in with with complete confidence and she doesn't just celebrate and click her heels even once she's healed she's still in reverence with fear and trembling you know says to jesus like here's what i did and then kind of waits for that is that okay like yeah yeah was that was that the right thing like I, I'm healed and I feel it, but is that is that okay? And then Jairus, you know, the people around him are are lost in despair. The people around him are still eaten away by worry in the circumstance. But like he pushes through, and the woman pushes through mm. in faith. It doesn't mean that you're going to be completely free from anxiety as you step through this faith process. But you've got to hold that faith up above the fear. You've got to hold it up above the anxiety. Um, but that should not create an insecurity of going, well, if I'm at all anxious or if I am at all doubtful of, of what's going to happen in this scenario or whatever, then I just must not have any faith at all. Yeah. Like it's not an all or nothing. It's not a binary one or a zero. Right. It's a process of replacing your insecurities, replacing your fears with Jesus. And just because you haven't done it completely doesn't mean you're inadequate. Yeah. And, and I would say, even say, like for me, Mike, it's not like the moment I started telling my anxiety about God that it went away. Yeah. It didn't. And, and, you know, as I'm coming up kind of on the year anniversary of when all this stuff started, I mean, I can sense and feel, you know, that, that there are moments of, you know, where anxiety will kind of creep in and I'm going, man, is it, is this going to happen again? Is it going to be like this again? Um, kind of playing those old tapes. And so it, in, in that moment, it isn't, it's, I, it's not that it's, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a bad person. I don't have enough faith. It's no, that's just the reality of, of the life that we lead in the world that we live in. And the fact that we do still live in a fallen society in a fallen world where sin and, and, and death and sickness and illness and lack of health, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever it is, exists. Um, but in those moments it is, and instead of just sitting and accepting the identity that those things want to give you it's no this that's not who i am 
here's who I am. I'm a son. I'm a son of the King of the Universe, and because of that, there's power in that. And it's not power that comes from me, but it's power that comes from Him. Um, and it's and it is. I trust in that. I believe in that power. I believe in His presence, you know, at work inside of me in the Holy Spirit. Um, and I believe in what He can do. Um, and it doesn't mean that he's going to make it go away all the time, but it all, but it also means though, it doesn't define me anymore. And that's something that Taylor, I thought said it, she said on Sunday night, that was huge for us. And in terms of parents and families going forward and students for that matter, uh, one thing, and Taylor and I were together on this church plant trip up in New York city. Um, and one of the, the pastors at the, the church plant, um, said that you know we, we were talking about church planting and and you know doing things for the homeless and and, and stuff like that and she stopped us and said um hey you got to be real careful how you talk about people um you know the the and this she was a former social worker and she said this is like the social worker side of me coming out and said um i'm careful when i talk about people who are you know a homeless person instead of me saying that that's a homeless person i would say that's a person experiencing homelessness because at that point, I'm not labeling them. Uh, and in this case, I think that's how Jesus saw both, you know, this woman and Jairus and Jairus's daughter is, this is, this is not a person who is, this is not an unclean person. This is a person who is experiencing a su- you know suffering of yeah, some kind. That's not a dead girl. That's a girl who's sleeping. Yeah, which is exactly what he says. Yeah. You know, it's like she's not dead. She's just asleep. And then says to her little girl, "Get up." You know. And I think that is so critical for us. You know, parents. You know, as as your as your students are as your kid. You know, kids in our house, like kids that are that are student age. And and I read this in a, in a book. It's a book about the Enneagram called The Road Back to You. And if you ask me who the author's name is right now, I don't know, but you can go Google it. It's a, it's a, a, a Christian book. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not just like throwing out some whack job that's writing, you know, crazy stuff about personalities. But um, this book about the Enneagram <clears throat> called The Road Back to You, the beginning is the guy's a clinical psychologist. And he said, if you, if you look, if you did an MRI, MRI brain scan of, you know, young men and women that the front part of their brain, the frontal lobe is dark because there's no activity. Um, and that is the part of our brains that control things like critical thinking and identity and, and things like that. Um, that begins to kind of wake up um, about the same time that puberty starts. And so as students become middle school and high school students, they're beginning that part of their brain that one, controls critical thinking, and two, really is the thing that helps to inform who they believe they are, begins to start firing and learning and, and retaining knowledge. And so parents, it's super important for us as our kids are growing up and as they're learn as they're continuing to make mistakes, as they're growing and maturing, we've got to be careful with our UR statements, right? And I am probably more guilty of this than anybody else. And it comes from my childhood and growing up and how, you know, there was trauma in, in my dad's life and my dad replayed that trauma in my life. And so I got a lot of UR statements or you are lazy and you are this and you are. And so I had to kind of figure out how to get out from, I'm still trying to figure out how to, to, to get out from underneath that. And so when my boys, when Jack and Cash, you know, when they do things that that I don't like and I have to discipline them, I have to be super careful that I'm not in, in a moment of discipline sowing something into them that they're not, that I'm not attaching a label to them that says, you are this. Well, that's, um, a, good, that's a good motion to illustrate that. Like imagine every time you say the words you are, you're, you're putting a name tag. Yeah. You're sticking it on their chest. Yeah, and so it's it's like it's in this case it's like, you know, parents, what do we what do we need to do in our lives to take on the same kind of 
mindset that Jesus had when he saw two people who culturally wore labels, you know, especially this woman, you know, wore a label that defined who she was. Maybe your kids have made some huge, huge mistakes. Um, maybe, you know, your kids are into, you know, maybe, they, maybe they're battling an addiction. Um, maybe they've slept with their boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, like those kind. how do I see them as, um, you know, this is not, my kid is not an addict. This is a person experiencing addiction. Um, but that person piece comes first, um, or my kid is not broken, but this is a person experiencing sexual brokenness or whatever. But to see that son, that to maintain the fact that what I'm putting on them is a name tag that says, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. You're experiencing this. And as we step further into faith, that's where we're going to find healing and things like that. And that doesn't, I'm not saying that, that healing only comes from faith and you can't go see doctors and medication and stuff like that doesn't help. It does. Right. Um, but at the same time too, I think in this case, especially seeing like it wasn't until this woman stepped out and went all in on Jesus that she began to find some healing. I don't think on this side of heaven that we're going to find full peace, full wholeness, full restoration in our lives outside of Jesus. No, no pill or prescription is going to replace the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yeah. Um, and so I just think it's important for us to understand that too. Yeah, the, the Greek word that Jesus uses when he says your, your faith has made you well, it can mean to heal or to save. Like yeah. There's an element of physical and spiritual healing wrapped up in the meaning of that word. Uh, but the cool thing about stepping through this process of kind of considering these UR statements, thinking about the words uh, that are culturally and expectationally standing between you and Jesus or your student and Jesus is that Jesus wants to remind you of your identity. He mm -hmm. wants to tell you who you are. And so when you open yourself up to listen to that, like he's he's gonna remind you who you are. He's gonna put scripture uh, in that in that conversation. That's gonna describe to you what his character is and his hopes and his dreams for you. Um, and so that that's the challenge this week. Think about who that crowd is uh, that's keeping you from Jesus. Those cultural expectations, those things that are burned into you and a part of you and feel like afflictions that you've been carrying. What is it that is your roadblock uh, from touching, reaching out and touching Jesus? And what do you need to cover up with that name tag of just, I am a son or I am a daughter of Jesus. Yeah. And I have faith that that is going to save me, that that is going to ultimately uh, make my life end up in a place that has purpose, in a place that is beautiful, in a place that has eternal implications. Mm. So think about that for yourself. Think about that for your student. Lead them in that journey. The cool thing is Jesus is going to respond with, here's who you are. Yeah. You are my son. You are my daughter. Yeah. And I think even uh, you know a real practical way for parents, and we'll kind of wrap with this, is, um, and, and again, I think I've shared this in the past on this podcast, but... You know, and, and and I'll say this: I don't do this perfectly because, in fact, I've kind of got I, I fell out of the habit of it until my wife reminded me of this a few weeks ago. Of there's there's a powerful thing that comes when when you bless your kids or you know husbands and wives when you bless one another um, when you grab your kids and say, "Let me tell you who I think you are." Um, just like God did this with his own son. I mean, when Jesus is baptized, God says, this is my son, there's his identity, whom I love, you know, there's that affection piece, and in whom I am well pleased, right? And so Jesus starts his ministry knowing, 
God is my father, he loves me, and he's pleased with me. That's a blessing from a father to a son. That same thing can exist from a mother to a son. You know, we got single moms, uh, from a father to a daughter, if you're a single dad, or from parents to one another. I mean, if you got mom and dad in the house, moms and dads, don't be afraid to bless your kids. Don't be afraid to, to grab them by the, by the face if you need to and say, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Um, because everything else in this world is trying to to out promise and outdo you in that regard um, and to promise them more and say that no I have a blessing for you and if you do this you'll be blessed and those kinds of things everything in the world has a condition it's it, it's an if-then right uh, your blessing moms and dads should be unconditional uh, and so I think there's a power there's some power to that as, as your kids are going I know the dead period is over and so fall sports practices are starting back up again and and as kids hit hit the practice field they're doing everything they can to earn the blessing of a coach you know on a practice field right now it's helpful for them to have an environment in their lives where I don't have to earn a blessing from my mom or my dad I get it um, and you can't earn something that's already given and I think that's a critical thing for our kids to be able to walk through their lives with and to say look like I, I, I'm giving you my blessing. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Um, I love who you are. Um, and so I think those things are, are critical for, for moms and dads to, to be able to do and to do that with each other, too. I mean, husbands, bless your wives. I mean, there's so much insecurity in marriage. Even it doesn't take much um, for, for insecurity and anxiety and those kinds of things to work its way into the fabric of of what what connects us together as husbands and wives husbands bless your wives wives bless your husbands you know i think those things like i i see how hard you work for us and i just want to tell you i love you for that um you know i see how well you run our family and i'm so i just want to tell you i, I love you for that um those kinds of things um it, it allows us to 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 step into that place of blessing and faith and identity uh, it's much easier to do that when when that when those things exist ver versus without those things. Yeah, yeah. Faith is not earning; it's trusting. Yep. Um, so think about identity, think about faith, and and really put the signpost in and say, "Here's what our family has faith in. Here's where our faith lies. It's in Jesus." Next week, uh, we're back with the story of the adulterous woman. We'll be talking about grace. Yeah, And we hope that uh, families will continue to invite other families to summer nights, bring them to the block um, so that together we can connect people to Jesus and one another. Cool. Yeah, we'll see you next week.